what is that core knowledge set, core skill set that enables you to have those conversations besides the confidence to have them? Because that is intimidating when you're new to meet with the CEO of a big company. It doesn't have to be overly complicated. So a diamond standard for me that I try to uphold is know the customer experience because I'm ultimately B to B to C. That's the solution I'm selling. So I mean, this is going to be different if you are B to B, but it was more important that I was coming from a place that I know how to fix your problem because I'm the one receiving the problem. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Brandon Fluarty. Brandon's Vice President of Strategic Account Solutions at LivePerson. And I have to tell you, he's one of the best salespeople I've ever known or had the pleasure to work with. And he's joining me on this episode of Sales Enablement, episode 766, to talk about how to win big deals. Now, that's what Brandon does. He wins really big deals with Fortune 50-type companies, and he does it pretty quickly. So we're going to dig into what he does to be successful. We're going to get into his selling process and how he moves deals through his pipeline. And we're going to talk about Brandon, a SaaS seller at the very top of his game. We're going to talk about the steps he takes and the investment he makes of his time and efforts to keep getting better, to keep improving. Now, before we get to Brandon, I want to let you know that the whole team of people who work to produce this podcast are incredibly grateful for all of you who support us by listening to the show, telling your friends, sharing it on social media, and most importantly, subscribing to the show and giving us your feedback in the form of a rating and review. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, Andy. Thanks for having me. That's my pleasure. It's great to have you here. So you're joining us from where today? Uh, I am joining you from my home office here in Sarasota, Florida. Sarasota, Florida. So you're not out these days since we're recording this during a time when everybody's sort of working from home, as we say. Yeah. Um, so you're not out enjoying kite surfing or any of those other things that, that take place in Sarasota. Yeah, not uh, not surfing or or on uh, on the bike as I normally would be, uh, and uh, certainly not on a plane as I would especially be at this time uh, trying to to hunt down the the new business. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm on a plane quite a bit as well too. That's been a that's been an adjustment. I'm, there's been several adjustments right in this period. One Absolutely. is uh, obviously. Yeah. You and I share some of these adjustments. One is we're not out bicycling; we're bicycling inside. Mm-hmm. Um, Two is we're not able to watch Liverpool play football. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and three is we're not traveling as much. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So so we have to adapt and uh, trying to make a positive out of it and, and trying to just keep things in perspective. Um, you know, both you and I have been successful sellers. Um, I am actively selling. So coming off of a, a monster 2019 year, which I was very proud of, but understanding that circumstances can can be a lot worse um you know my my wife actually is is a nurse and i'm i'm selfishly grateful that she is not a practicing nurse right now uh she graduated nursing school uh in new york city where we met and Mm -hmm. we're just extremely grateful that uh she's not in that environment right now but um you know I, i could only imagine what healthcare workers are going for going through right now or you know, if you've been furloughed um, as an employee. So, so certainly there are, are folks who are, are being hit very hard. So trying to keep things in perspective, be grateful, uh, try to remind myself, write, write down what I'm grateful of, and try to use this time to um, kind of get back to some of the basics. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I've been writing uh, as much as I can each each morning, um, getting to to some healthy habits like meditating and uh, you know getting on the in, indoor bike trainer and and trying to get a good workout in. Um, but but also you know trying to use this downtime to improve my skills. Um, sure. You know wh- where there were gaps, can I take time and and learn um, you know some some new skills. Uh, you know, what are some certifications that, that I can take on and learn a little bit more about my industry, uh, which revolves around artificial intelligence? Let's explore something. So you, so you, yeah. use, you use the term, I mean, here you're a seller, SaaS world, a top of your game. You, mm-hmm. yeah, you and I know each other from before this call. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, monster year. Um, you call it downtime. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of times you look out at LinkedIn these days and it's, come on, let's keep going. Let's push, 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 push. You know, don't be, don't be wusses. Let's go do this. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, some of that may change from business to business. But so you use the term downtime. What what's that mean for you? Yeah. Uh, so it's just sort of reevaluating, um, kind of coming down to, to the foundation and, and realizing that no one knows what's going to happen this year, um, you know, knowing that everything has changed and the whole world is going through this. So a lot of, you know, you know, I pursue strategic accounts. So, you know, fortune 10 level businesses, uh, who are going to get hit hard in Q2 and Q3. Well, but they are. So you still engage with them though. I mean, that's what I meant with downtime. I mean, you still, how are you following up with your, your customers, your existing prospects that were in the pipeline? Yeah. Big, big, big accounts. Yeah, um, and and I focus on on net new logo acquisitions. So unfortunately, I don't have relationships that I can sort of lean back on unless they were in advanced sales stages. And coming off of a big year, um, understandably, the the pipeline was then coming into twenty twenty, um, and and so I had ambitious targets. Um, you know, continuing the momentum of twenty nineteen, um, obviously. This macro event, this black swan event, has changed and upended everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've tried to adopt a framework, a uh, very very simple framework under these uncertain times, which is just empathize, humanize, and then materialize. And understanding that you know a lot of these early stage sales pursuits, a lot of them have just completely put things on hiatus. Um, and no new initiatives are, are going to be evaluated at this time. Um, obviously, making it much more challenging for someone like myself to, to kind of come in and continue conversations, build the relationship, um, uh, or you know, in something even in the hospitality space, you know, some some large brands have furloughed corporate contacts. So there's mm-hmm. one one major brand who has completely furloughed uh, an entire team I met with in December, and. Um, you know, understandably, you know, there's really nothing to talk about with, with them. So, um, you know, my strategy is kind of working with the marketing team, working with a strategic SDR. Working with your marketing team. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and how can we strike the right tone? Um, and again, it's kind of going back to, okay, well, how do we empathize uh, and, and try to put ourselves in, in their shoes and understand their situation. How do we humanize the uh, the new climate that we're in? Understanding that the whole family is trying to work in a very business, you know, very busy household. 
Uh, it's, you know, hair on fire, crisis management type of thing. Um, how can you come in with the right tone? Um, but I think the third element is, is the important one is for what would be a new provider, a new vendor for the logos that I'm pursuing is trying to actually show them in a very succinct way hey, we've actually done some work. We've done some homework. I've done a, a gap analysis and, and very clearly and, and quickly, here's where we can provide immediate relief. Um, so those have actually proven to be, uh, again, this, this isn't a, you know, a, an approach that you can just spray and pray and, and, and put out there to everyone. You've got to be selective, um, which I already am with you know, strategic sure. account pursuits. But um, not giving up either, right? Um, no, but you're, it sounds like what you're doing is dialing back the ask, right? Here's something yeah. we know that provides immediate relief for a, a solution you may have that may or may not be caused by what the situation we're in. Right. But irrespective of that, it makes sense to really consider. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, this event has uh, luckily benefited a company like ours. Um, I mean, we've seen 90% uh, boost in, 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 um, the, the messages coming onto our platform. So we're a conversational platform and uh, we help brands, you know, kind of shift those conversations between their consumers from voice calls and email and some of these uh, old legacy channels, uh, even web chat and move that into more inherent natural behavior of, of consumers, which is just messaging. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen a huge spike. Um, obviously that's our current client base but how do we take some of those learnings over to, to net new prospects who may not even really have a complete understanding of, of, of what we do at our company? So that's the approach. And it's, it's, it, it has accelerated this, this crisis. It has accelerated what we knew was going to be the new normal anyways. And I know that is a cliche <laughs> tagline yeah. right now, the new normal. <laughs> but you know, we were talking about a new normal before this crisis hit. This has just accelerated that which is, you know, when you look at long hold times, um, you know, that, you know, we're, we're hearing like day long hold times. Like, yeah. For people calling customer service and so on. And we'll, we'll get into how you yeah. guys serve that, but yeah. yeah, that's, those are every financial institution website or travel website, any place you go, that message is you know, right at the top of the page. Right. right. Be, be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's, let's get back and talk about you a little bit because sure. yeah. We want to tell people, so, okay, here's somebody you're at the top of your game in the SaaS business, uh, mm -hmm. selling to mega accounts, um, but you start off trying to be a pro soccer player. <laughs> I know we, we share this passion yeah. for soccer, but mm -hmm. so what was that about? Yeah, um, so I got into to soccer. I mean, I've been playing my whole life, but really seriously got into soccer in my teenage years. And um, you know, throughout high school, uh, played in youth leagues, and and uh, it was a, a passion and I, a sole focus of mine uh, throughout my teenage years. And and had the opportunity to then go on and, and play in college, and then had the opportunity uh, early on to actually go train in Europe as essentially a, a, a trainee with a professional soccer club in Romania. And um, Romania. Yeah, off the beaten path for sure. Yeah, so how did you get hooked up with somebody in Romania? <laughs> so uh, between my freshman and sophomore years in college, I went to a training camp that uh, 
that a group here in the in the states put together uh, for for youth players and uh, serious players, and we trained with the professional clubs in in Romania. And um, you know, I was sort of scouted and identified early on, and invited to come and and train. Um, I didn't want to sign any contracts because uh, I didn't want to lose my college eligibility. Um, but I was essentially you know brought on with a first division professional club. Uh, and, you know, trained with them as, as if I was one of their players and got to participate in, in friendlies and, and, and matches and, and things like that, uh, with the, the goal of, of signing a, a contract, because, you know, as, as you are well aware of soccer, uh, and, and, and world football, that, uh, if you don't start your career as a, as a teenager and yeah. starting your professional career at 16, 17, um, you're, you're sort of behind the curve. And, and that was the case for me, you know, kind of going over there at 1920. Um, you know, I was behind the curve uh, as an American. Um, so I, I, I went in full force. Like that was my, my committed focus um, with the intent of becoming a professional soccer player. Uh, unfortunately, ran into some injury issues and um, had to kind of reevaluate my future. So again, luckily I didn't sign any uh, professional agreements, so I could maintain my college eligibility. Um, ended up, you know, re- recouping and, and recovering from from that injury, and uh, w- you know, went back to to school and uh, finished up in in New York. And that's what took me to to New York City ultimately as a young adult. Uh, and wasn't intentionally looking to get into sales, but my first career uh, move was. Uh, parlaying my expertise in soccer. And I started with a soccer training uh, startup, uh, an education startup hmm. in, uh, in, in Long Island. And our focus was creating a system of training youth players, particularly five to 12-year-olds, um, using the expertise of American-based players who'd played collegiately or professionally um, and we kind of created this unique system uh, that we were hoping to to take elsewhere, um, but ultimately the, the the company was sold. Um, but I went into it with just the pursuit of, hey, I love soccer. I'm I'm not going to be a professional player, but the best next thing is to be a trainer or a coach sure. and, and help help the youth. Um, but I kind of cut my entrepreneurial teeth and sales teeth there, um, and really that's was the, the blossoming of, of my sales career. Yeah. Well, I'll start somewhere, right? So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the first professional sales job? Yeah. So really from, from there with that, with that organization, I sold, um, you know, personalized training packages and, um, again, c- kind of cut my teeth. The, the company, the startup was eventually sold to a larger organization. From there, I moved from Long Island, you know, working in Long Island to, to moving and, and working in the city in Manhattan. And um, that was really, you know, a core sales job. So uh, you'll you'll see uh, I, I, another passion of mine is is music and DJing. Um, so I worked with another startup that was focused on DJ education as well as um, concierge music marketing programs, uh, Scratch Music out of New York, and um, hmm. it was selling into major brands like Gucci, Crunch Fitness. Um, you know, beaches and sandals resorts, and and what we Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. What we did was we we leveraged the power of the DJ to customize music programs for background music 
and or DJ programs where we could lift revenue um, in, in retail spaces or spaces on the cruise ship through uh, really engaging music. And uh, I sold, you know, essentially those those services uh, to to those major brands. So, Muzak. Yeah, we competed with Muzak, um, but <laughs> but trying to bring some sexiness to it uh, using a, a cool professional DJ. Yeah, mixing that that and customizing that music. But yeah, that, that was essentially it. Yeah, at, at one point we were delivering Muzak type services <laughs> over satellite networks. I sold. So yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. know that business well. Yeah. So okay, so. Keep going then. I mean, yeah. so that was getting some sort of taste of selling to some larger accounts and so on. Exactly. Yeah. So that was really my uh, true foray into to professional sales. And um, and then I met my to-be wife. We met in New York City. And like I said, she was uh, finishing up nursing school. She was a former fashion designer, kind of going through a transition herself, former fashion designer to um, to becoming a nurse. Mm-hmm. And um and you know when we met, she had lived in New York City for a long time. I lived in New York City for a long time. Um, we developed a really serious relationship, and I think we'd figured, hey, uh, enough of, of New York City. It's an, a very expensive place to live at the time, and uh, uh, hasn't, hasn't changed. It, it hasn't changed, but <laughs> yeah. but yeah, our circumstances. I can vouch yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah, our circumstances have changed a bit, but at the time, we you know it, it was a place where we were looking to um, you know, get more serious, settle down a bit, uh, take the next stages in our relationship. So we had the opportunity to move to Sarasota, Florida, where she grew up. And uh, this was back in 2008. And uh, you know, another black swan event, the financial crisis mm-hmm. hit. We had never owned a home. So at that time, it was actually all upside opportunity for, for someone like me, you know, a couple of years into sales at that point. Um, you know, we looked at moving here, honestly, as a, a temporary thing, but it became permanent um, sure. with the ability to buy our first home um, at a, a great time. And, um, you know, I, I really had nothing to lose. So sales was all upside for me. Uh, so sort of transitioned from kind of doing the big account stuff to actually SMB sales. And that um, actually was a great education as well. Uh, because then it was more of, of, of the, you know, the, the grind. It was kind of creating systems. Like, how could I bring sophistication to S&B sales? What, what were you selling? Uh, so uh, it did a few things. Um, you know, worked, worked for media companies and then eventually got into uh, television sales and then you know, advertising sales and then um, digital media. Got um, it. Yeah. And then, um, you know, just climb the ranks, SMB to mid-market to eventually enterprise to then strategic accounts um, over, over the past 10, 11 years. So what was the moment in your career where there was sort of this, where it started making sense, mm-hmm. right? There's sort of this mm-hmm. aha moment, right? Yeah. I mean, I think everybody sort of has it at some yeah. point where it's like, okay, now I get it, right? Yeah. It's sort of, most, I think, to you know, professional athlete, you know, they, yeah, they could be highly rated in college, but it's different when you get into the pros and sometimes it takes, right. you know, a couple of yeah. years for you to sort of like, oh, okay, now the game's slowing down, everything's making sense. Mm-hmm. What was that for you? Yeah, I would say it was when I made that transition to uh, the, the broadcast television sales. Um, that's when things just started to click. I had, you know, maybe four or five years under my belt in professional sales 
And it was the, the moment I started believing in myself self, uh, because others were, were believing in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was you know, surpassing quota. Uh, I was getting recognition. I was being recruited uh, when I wasn't actively looking. So it was sort of, uh, you know, I've even as uh, you know, a soccer player, and I, I always struggled with confidence issues. It's always a mental thing for me, not necessarily um, you know, the, the physical, technical, or tactical mm-hmm. side of the game. Um, so that, I think, was a big aha moment where I was being recognized, and then that further instilled confidence in myself to just continue to push and, and do my thing. And then, you know, kind of first time of entering six-figure earnings um, and, you know, that belief that, you know, that should never go below that, mm-hmm. and only go above. So, yeah, that was, uh, uh, you know, that was happening around 2009, 2010, um, where, where I started to, to kind of make that transition. And then I just felt like I had the platform to con- continue to, to rise the ranks and, and or, um, you know, outgrowing, you know, you know, smaller companies and moving into to larger companies who, who, who worked with you know, re- really large uh, accounts and, and logos. Um, and that's, so you're deliberate in your career path and sort of saying, okay, yeah. what I'm doing here is going to set me up because I want to go sell bigger accounts for a bigger company. And, and you made those transitions and you're looking at your own development, your own skill set. Mm-hmm. Were you ready or said, I'm coming here because I want to learn these things. Yeah. Uh, it's, I would like to think that it was purely deliberate. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent deliberate. I would say it's 80% deliberate and 20%, um, you know, good timing as, as well. So kind of fast forward to past couple of years and, and what landed me ultimately to my, my, my current role at a live person. Um, Again, I wasn't actively looking to leave the enterprise sales role that I was in. I was with a late stage startup out of San Francisco, and I was you know, re- recruited. But what I did do was I kept a short list of mm-hmm. companies that I, on one side of companies I would be willing to make that move for, or industries. And Live Person was on the industry list of artificial intelligence and automation and this new world of conversational commerce. And, um, and then it was, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, I had my list of, Hey, here's what I would want from a sales environment, not too big of a company, not too small of a company, um, all, all those various factors. And, um, ultimately though, at the top of that list are the people, uh, the, the leaders, uh, that, that I ultimately I'd be working with and for. And that's ultimately what what made me make that move, and it's it's certainly been um, you know a great past two two and a half years uh, at, at Live Person. Well, if you look back on not just Live Person experience, but prior to that, as you're sort of growing and and mm-hmm. you know you're still comparatively early in your career, is and I, I love this question because it's they always get such interesting answers. It's like, okay, who taught you mm-hmm. how to sell big accounts? Who yeah. taught you? You know, some of the most important lessons. I mean, I look back at my own careers, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, I was a mentor and mm-hmm. it was my customers. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in what was for you. Yeah, I wish I could look back and say, yeah, I got a formal uh, MBA in, in selling strategic <laughs> accounts. I just don't <laughs> no, think it exists no, out there. No. Uh, so it, wouldn't you, be any good, it wouldn't be any good if it existed. Yeah, right, right, right. 
Um, so I think it's, it's very similar to you. It's, it's, you learn by doing, uh, this is definitely sales is one of those, um, really interesting jobs that I think is very similar to athletes and it's very similar to entrepreneurs. Uh, it's, it's, it's why it's, it is a coveted role, but it's a challenging role. Um, but there's, there's high payoff, not, not just from a compensation standpoint, just, uh, from freedom and flexibility, similar to an entrepreneur, if you build a business um, and continue to successfully grow that, um, you know that's it's sort of coveted. Um, hey, that that entrepreneur, like you know, kind of a rock star, um, that, that's pretty cool. What about the chance to control a lot of your sort of destiny on a day to day basis? Exists there, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that freedom, I think. That yeah, we talk about it in sales quite a bit. Is you know, yeah. even in the early stage, it's like, hey. You're an entry-level salesperson, or not entry-level, but you're, you know, early in your career, you've been given this patch of accounts or a patch of territory, mm-hmm. and be the CEO of that territory, right? But but I, I'm sort of like you, is that, for me, part of the attraction of sales throughout the years, I, I like to say, on one hand, I was very fortunate to have this happen, but perhaps, you know, I contributed to making it happen, mm-hmm. is I was in situations where, yeah, as long as I performed at the high levels, I was in charge, Mm-hmm. Right yeah. of myself, my team. I mean, yeah, I report to a CEO, but it's pretty light touch if you're doing the job. Yeah, and I mean that's probably why a lot of successful salespeople actually don't venture off into starting their own businesses because you don't need to. There, there isn't enough of that pain. Um, I the the freedom and flexibility is intoxicating because we act like our own mini CEOs, and I'm a big advocate of this concept of intrapreneurship. Mm-hmm. So. Um, treat your company like a VC who's funding you to go out and, and be successful. And when you are successful, you're going to be rewarded. And you're going to be given the free and flexibility to operate your business. Um, and yeah, why go out and go out on the skinny branch and risk, uh, you know, having to think about all the complexities and the headaches that go into building a business, let somebody else take care of that, be your marketing engine, you know, take care of health and benefits and mm-hmm. payroll and all those things. And, and you just go out and execute on really the, the fun stuff. Absolutely. The fun stuff. Yeah. Challenging stuff. Sure. Absolutely. But, but, but fun, if you can really think smart and strategic about your approach. Yeah. I mean, in your case, you carry a big title, but you're fundamentally an individual contributor, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And yeah. yeah, I think that's sort of, I knew so many people in my, over the course of my career, People I'd worked for, peers, and so on, that had that ambition to run teams and so on. And then after a while, usually about the same point in their careers as you're at right now, you know, sort of 10, 15 years into it, said, No, no, no. I just yeah. I just want to sell. Yeah. Yeah, you sort of get beaten down by <laughs> all the things of, of management. Not not that there's anything wrong with management, but uh, you, you get away, you get out of touch of what got us into sales in the first place or what has kept us in sales. And so, yeah, I, I have been deliberate about being an individual contributor. Um, you know, my, my focus is I, I have a few milestones that I want to achieve as an individual contributor. I'd rather build a team from scratch that, that helps to fuel my mini business within a, a bigger business rather than manage uh, holistically a, a, a team. Uh, so I have been deliberate about that. And yeah, even though I have a VP title, uh, I don't have anybody that reports to me. I have groups that I obviously work with. Sure. 
but yeah, nobody nobody reports to me. It was very deliberate in using a VP title to you know essentially escalate myself into these you know really large strategic accounts. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't I don't consider yeah. that a title inflation. I think that's a, a worthwhile thing to have because you're operating at that level. Right. Um, but yeah, I was, I was always sort of like you is is even though I was running and growing sales teams and startups. Yeah, I'm the zero to fifty million guy. Mm-hmm. You know that that's where I came in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're gonna come to the beginning. We're gonna build this up because I, especially with selling large stuff like we we're selling multi million dollar communication systems, I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Even with my guys and and the team I had is you know that was all the fun. Yeah, yeah. I I have to admit I I if it got bigger than than yeah. Three handfuls of, of salespeople. It's like, no, nah, let somebody else do it. I just, mm-hmm. I want to have the fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know we're we're very similar in in our personalities and in our approaches to these these big deals. Uh, it's it's I think for me, I don't want to you know speak for for everyone, but if for for me, it is more fulfilling seeing that when you can go to one of these major brands uh, as we've done, and you're not selling a transaction, you're selling a transformation. And then 12 months later, look back and see that that is available to the public. Uh, an example of that is a major airline um, mm-hmm. that I pursued that I was spending my own personal time on um, prior to me even reaching out to them. Um, you're, you're flying on them, you mean? I was flying on them, <laughs> yes, yeah. You're, you're so, subsidizing their business, yes? Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and... So I was you know, very relevant as one of their, their top-tier customers. Um, I just also happened to uh, be in a position where I could help um, improve that customer experience. And, and so that was the approach that I took with this major airline. And um, honestly, just wrote a, an open letter to a handful of, of their leaders and their executives. And I, I laid out in a very, again, succinct way, um, hey, here's, here's a... A memo. Here's an open letter of why I think we should have a conversation, and it went from us targeting them to them, them ultimately pursuing us. And this was before we had SDR, so I kind of was full cycle sales on this, and and uh, kind of customized my approach and and made it very on point from my lens as a customer who's spending every week of his life on their planes. And nine months later. Um, we're, you know, we're landing a large seven-figure deal uh, with them. And fast forward, this is late 2018, fast forward 12, 18 months to now, um, they are uh, being able to, to utilize our platform during a very challenging time. And, and, and it, it's very fulfilling to actually see that many customers are, are saying, wow, I'm so grateful that this solution exists. And they're posting it. Irregardless that they know live person is powering that, this is just customers saying how happy they are. It's very fulfilling to see that we're we're impacting real people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of what really keeps me going and really interested. That I know that I can come in and, and make an impact. And again, when you see that, that gives you the confidence to just keep going to the next one and go bigger and go bigger and go bigger. Yeah, well, I think you sort of slipped this in there, but I think for people listening, especially if you're SaaS sellers. Talking about a seven-figure SaaS deal, first contract. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not some, hey, let's get a $9,000 contract and see what we can grow it to. Mm-hmm. So 
What's sort of, in your perspective, what's sort of the key to say, okay, well, of course, there's going to be some evaluation of risk on the part of the customer in terms of you know how big of a chunk they should start with. Right. How do you how do you work with them? What's your your skills, your talents you're using to say, yeah, let's look at the bigger picture and maybe we can start a little bit larger. Yeah, yeah. So it does start with that premise of, of think transformation, not, not transactional, and knowing that that's going to take more time to, to, to close the deal. Um, but also in the mindset that, hey, where, wherever you start with, um, that's, that's going to be whether it's a $250,000 deal or a $250 million deal, you're going to be perceived at that value. Um, so you have to kind of be careful that you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into where we know a lot of these large brands are going to use the procurement uh, negotiation skills, use, use every variable against you to, to kind of keep you locked in there. But you know our contracts are typically signed off by a C-level executive. Well, how do you get in front of a C-level executive? If you're responding to an RFP uh, or you're doing an unsolicited bid, um, you know you need to show big numbers and you need to show big impact. So that was always a mindset that that um, again, not not necessarily learning it from any one specific person, other than just learning as I go along. That those are key elements that if you want to stand out. Uh, you have to be bold and you got to start with big, big numbers. So I think that's like premise number one is keeping that in the back of your mindset and then having the confidence to be able to do that. And I think that takes putting yourself, you know, similar to this concept of being an entrepreneur, you have to put yourself in their shoes uh, of, of who you're targeting. And obviously you want to elevate yourself up the chain to to the right executives who are thinking about enabling their North Star initiatives, not necessarily the end user. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly want to have good relationship with those end users. Or you don't want to burn uh, certainly any, any bridges or dismiss anyone. Um, but, you, but you do need to get to those leaders who are kind of thinking about, okay, we have really ambitious goals to increase our net promoter score or reduce operating expense by a large amount. How do you have a relevant conversation with them with confidence and show that there is is truly a path forward using your services. Well, so I think those are the things that I think of. Yeah, okay. And I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I but you know, the, one of the things you're really talking about here is I, I love the idea of, of being bold, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> remember days, similar type thing as, as pre-internet, as, you know, I was calling companies around the world, cold calling them from my phone in, in California. But yeah, to be able to capture the attention, you had to have a bold premise that you're putting forth. Otherwise, yeah, they're not going to pay attention to you. Oh, you're just another small vendor, right? Yeah, I don't have time for you. But as you said, something transformational, and that, that really became a key. But to have that transformational conversation, though, mm-hmm. you have to have a level of business acumen yeah. to be able to have that. And this is, this is right. a part that I think sellers really struggle with. Right yeah. across the board, especially as people yeah. coming up in their career. So for you, what what was the key? Is is it? I, mean, I look back on me. I started my career. My dad gave me the recommendation: read the Wall Street Journal every day. Yeah, yeah. And I did. It was the first yeah. thing I did when I got my first job. As I subscribed yeah. to the Wall Street Journal, just read about business. I, I mean, literally yeah. to read the physical paper, scan it, uh, but you mm-hmm. know, go through mm-hmm. the whole thing front mm-hmm. to back every day. Mm-hmm. And read other books and so on. But that was really yeah. important. That really 
helped me learn about business as well as just being curious about it. But, yeah. but what was it for you? I think writing. I think being a good communicator, obviously reading and just being, you know, well or, or, or articulate, you know, these are the things that um, are really important. You don't have to know the ins and outs of your products like a solutions consultant would. I think it's more important to have good business conversations uh, foremost. And so that's kind of the advice that I give a lot to, to, to sellers who are starting at a new company. Uh, it, you don't need to dive into the product and wait 90 days that you're, uh, you know, to onboard, certified right. and onboard right. and you, you, you know, the ins and outs of, of your, your product, uh, go, just, just, just go and have good business conversations. So, but it's a certain level writing. of sophistication though, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that, that was the part I started driving at is, is yeah. I think this is the barrier is, you know, when you have Gartner and people reporting that, you know, right. 80, 80% of CEOs or CEOs report that 80% of the sales calls they have are yeah. of no value. Yeah. What is that core knowledge set, core skill set that enables you to to have those conversations? Besides the confidence to have them, because that you know it is intimidating yeah. when you're new to meet with the yeah. CEO of a big company. Yeah, I mean the diamond standard, and again, it's you know, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. So a diamond standard for me that I try to uphold is know the customer experience better. That because I'm B to ultimately B to B to C. That, mm-hmm. That's the solution I'm selling. So. I mean, this is going to be different if you're, you are B2B, um, but, but as you know, that airline example that I gave, uh, you know, what, what gave me the bold approach to just write, write that open letter um, and then tact, tactically I could understand who's opening it, when it's being opened and, and things like that. Uh, it was more important that one, I had the, the writing skills and, and, and I was coming from a place that, hey, I... I know how to fix your problem because I'm the one receiving the, the problem. Um, and I, you know, I think that's, that's a good approach because you're best served to articulate those problems and then knowing your solution well enough, not again to the 10th degree, but, but knowing it to a, a certain degree that you can solve for those business problems. Um, that's, how I did it. And again, for me, writing is, is kind of the tool um, mm-hmm. on how I serve that up on a, on a platter. So I, I kind of really scrutinize, um, Hey, attention deficit do- disorder uh, exists at the executive level. Um, not, <laughs> uh, you know, for any other reason other than they are time start. Sure. So if you're going to put something in front of them, uh, can you grab their attention and can you hold their attention for three to five minutes? And how can I be as impactful as possible in those three to five minutes with text on a screen? Um, that was always kind of what I scrutinized. And, and, and I, I've just been drawn to writing. I love writing. And, and so I wanted to utilize those skills. That's kind of what has helped articulate that. And when I write, then it also helps me to then be better prepared when I speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love just writing. And then, you know, that then forms my point of view on how I present and, and how I talk on a discovery call and, and so forth. So uh, for me, it was, you know, to ultimately sure. answer your question, it's, it's writing. That's how I gained the business acumen. And I think um, help, has helped land these, these really large deals. Well, I think it's a great insight because as somebody who writes quite a bit, uh, myself, written some 
books and so on is is yeah even after having been in sales for forever mm-hmm. every time i write i understand something better you know something i thought i knew and that i could maybe verbalize when you have to write it it really it forces you to really say okay i really do understand this That's and so exactly to your right. point i think when you're talking about preparing for these conversations is yeah if you can be coherent on a piece of paper and compelling on a piece of paper on a screen um, yeah, it's a, it's a big leg up to have a good conversation with somebody then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. A great, great tip. Um, so let me, some bits and bites about, you mm-hmm. know, these deals you work on average length of sales cycle, seven figure deal for you, average length of sales cycle. Yeah. It's, uh, anywhere from six months to 18 months. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously my pursuit as a business operator is how do we shorten that? Um, sure. but, 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 but for now, I mean, these are, you know, massive, massive companies. So it just, it takes times. So it's not so much a selling problem. It's a buying problem. <laughs> That's um, always, it's always a buying yeah, problem. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, because you think about it from the buyer's perspective, we've talked about this on the show many, many times is they don't do this very often. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they have a written process that they follow to procure mm-hmm. conversational commerce platform from live person. Right. They don't. Right. right. So how do you how do you help them sort of map that out? Yeah. Um, so it, again, it's it's starting with someone who's going to be a good recipient of that. Um, so you know, we we know that we can make a big impact. For instance, at leaders of a contact center, it's a good beachhead for us. It's a good starting point. Um, but for us, that's just a starting point. Um, so again, it comes back to then. How do you articulate, hey, I can create a hero moment for you in the contact center? One, again, empathize and humanize. I, mm-hmm. I understand what, what your life is, is like. This is what we've seen with others. Does this seem true in your, your, your life? And 99% of the time, it's, it's consistent. Um, and then using data, using facts, uh, using stories to relay those facts um, you know, here's how we, we, we get started. But this is one component of the full transformation of four components. You know, if we start with conversational care, uh, your, your leaders are going to lean into what you're doing there because you've shown success in a relatively short amount of time. And typically for us, it's 100 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to lead to conversational selling or you know, digital ordering, uh, dependent on the business, digital reservations, if you're a travel business, um, that can lead to conversational marketing, how you rethink your advertising to be more effective through two-way dialogue mm-hmm. and using automation to then, wow, this is great for our customers. Why aren't we adopting this frictionless type of experience internally and using this type of technology for human resources or how we communicate over our intranet, can we make that more conversational and use AI and bots and automation to to make it um, more efficient? And so that's like the full picture that we try to paint. Um, but then, without uh, I, I hate when people use this term, but it, it is true. Like without boiling the ocean, ocean right? Yeah. Um, where do we start? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that that starting point shouldn't be super tiny. That starting point should still be big because everything that we put in front of our customers 
um, is is validated by a true business case, uh, and there's an ROI. So every dollar you invest in, in in us, we can show a return on it. And here's what that looks like, and we can defend that sure. again with facts and data. So that's where we start, and we start big enough to make an impact. And then that's the the momentum for even larger seven eight figure deals um, from that original seven figure sure. uh, or eight figure deal. So another question, maybe you've never been asked before, but sort of putting things in in context because really what you're talking about is everything is is yeah you don't need to have detailed knowledge of the product, but you need to understand the context that is used in and be able to relate that in the context of the buyer is. Um, Let's say for a seven-figure deal, is how many conversations, phone, in phys, in person, whatever. How many conversations do you think it takes you to get a deal from first conversation to close? Yeah, well, about 15, 15 to twenty. Um, and again, that's probably about five or six in-person meetings, mm-hmm. um, and you know the, the you know the the rest web. Uh, or, or or phone calls, fifteen to twenty, um, and and again trying to dial de- that that down even further. Of how can we be even more efficient? That like that's my constant quest, and that's that's sure. kind of the fun fun stuff. But you know some of the deals that I was mentioning, uh, and it's 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 about twenty you know, meaningful. You know, not sure. not little sure. check in emails, or I'm not even really counting conversations. Emails. Yep. So. I mean, I think it's really important for sellers who are listening to this to think about because you know, chances are if you're selling even something that's relatively transactional, maybe it's a five-figure deal, maybe six, mm-hmm. you're probably having almost as many conversations <laughs> as Brandon's having. And I, I would tell the story too about selling, you know, ten million dollar satellite communication systems with five conversations, mm-hmm. you know, one in-person visit, and so on. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, you can be more efficient and effective. And so you just shouldn't give in to this idea that whew, big deal. We got to be on top of them. We got to you know blanket these people with communications and so on. It's like no, 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 no. Stop here, right? Yep. Yep. That's uh, I think an excellent point because it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, when you where you start is sort of where the the company perceives you, right? So if it's two hundred fifty thousand dollar deal, twenty five thousand dollar deal. It's it's almost harder, uh, you know, almost to get even those deals. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Done, than than it is the the big transformations because again, you the bigger the number, sort of the 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 more you're you're escalating, and, and the more empowered those types of leaders and executives are to, uh, you know, push this through. Once you've you've connected the dots and everything's sort of clicking in place, uh, so it's almost easier in, in, in some regards there. So yeah, I, I agree with you. The, the audience shouldn't be put off that, oh my gosh, these massive um, you know, multi-figure deals are so much more, so much more work. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily the case. You just have to be, again, be confident, uh, be bold, uh, be smart about and very strategic about your approach. Okay. Well, that's going to lead to my last question of our conversation here today, which is, you know, we, the term sales enablement's used a lot these days, mm-hmm. and I think it's used in too narrow function. So part of the function of this show is we're trying to broaden the definition of that, because mm-hmm. I think a good chunk of sales enablement is really self enablement, right? 
So, question for you is, you know, you've talked yeah. about your writing, but in addition to your writing, yeah. what, what's your personal development plan, right, yeah. to, to take you where you want to go? What, what are you investing in these days? Yeah, so I'm investing a lot in, um, again, operating like how a world-class athlete would operate, um, bringing that into to sales. I think what's often overlooked and missed by a lot of you know, top sellers is how you sleep, how you eat, how you uh, exercise, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even your mental preparedness, your um, mental well-being. All of those need to, to factor in because for some, it's going to be, you know, the, 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 the micro gains, the, the marginal gains. For right. others, that could be a, the difference between, you know, missing quota to surpassing quota. Um, when, when you put a concerted effort into that holistic approach to, to what makes a natural seller. Because um, ultimately, there's like five things, right, that you're trying to balance. Everything really, everybody's, you know, trying to balance, but time, energy, motivation, prioritizing your account list and, and focusing on, on the work. And there are so many factors that can disrupt that mm-hmm. um, of, of you taking on meetings that maybe you shouldn't take on. Um, so that's eating into your time, your energy levels. Are you going out and having drinks at night? Um, or are you again behaving like how a world-class athlete would, would do is like, getting to bed at a proper time and getting proper rest. So you're waking up refreshed and doing that consistently. Um, are you eat, eating well and, and exercising well that's further fueling that energy? Um, and, and, you know, that plays into motivation. Are you motivated to actually do good work every single day? Um, and then using data um, and, and resources to prioritize your, your account list. You know, why should you focus on that account versus this one? What's telling you to do that? So it's so being stru- you know smart and strategic there, um, and then al- ultimately blocking off your time and not being afraid to do that, uh, so that you can just focus on good work, not multitasking and scrambling around, but being very concerted around. Okay, if I put in this effort, I know it's going to return X. Right. So, well, and you also are investing your own money in. Yeah. Your improvement. I mean, this is this is something that it's you know message I yeah. I talk about quite a bit. A harp on a harp on is is you know it's sometimes sellers they they look at okay well I get this coaching I get this training occasionally from the company and they look at it like an entitlement mm-hmm. instead of saying well it's yeah it's not an entitlement I gotta I gotta add to that if I really want to create some value out of that. So what are some of the things that you do where you're actually spending some of your own money? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, uh, you, you're, you're not uh, cheap. <laughs> you are well worth your time though, Andy. Um, so, I mean, I, I personally pay to, to work and, and uh, get coaching and advice from you, uh, which is very worthwhile. I, I also have worked with other coaches mm-hmm. uh, who, in other domains where I feel like I want to improve. Um, so kind of talking about mental uh, the, the mental side of thing, I've struggled with confidence even after success. How do I maintain that? Sure, the um, whole imposter syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Working through that imposter syndrome, that was yeah, exactly what all, I worked with. We've all with. had it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then even you know, uh, improving 
you know, the, <laughs> the big muscle that we have to use, the big organ that we have to use up here, the brain, um, kind of, you know, using science-based uh, approaches to, to improve that, to, to even things like, um, you know, this you know, utilizing wear, wearables, uh, right. which is Woot. Um, I've got know, my, is, my watch. Yeah. 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 Everything's yeah. tracked. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I know we've had conversations about this, but, but I think wouldn't it be really neat if, if as a, a sales organization, you again, we're operating more like a high performing professional world-class sports, sports team. team. Yep. Yeah. And you've got the mental coach, you've got the nutrition coach, you've got all these factors and you've got systems in place. So that, you know, you can show up and I know you can relate to you. You have a Peloton. I'm using uh, something called Zwift for the indoor cycling while mm -hmm. we're at home. Um, and I was just thinking to myself the other day, I was doing a virtual race on Zwift. You, you hook up your bike and, you know, so this doesn't get lost on, on some of the people in your audience, but you hook up your physical bike to what's called a smart trainer. Uh, so it kind of understands, Hey, this is, uh, the, the terrain you're riding on, yeah. Terrain you're you're riding on, and it's then virtualized on my iPad, and so I can go and immerse myself with real other cyclists in race in a world. And yeah, so if I'm multiplayer game, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, well, uh, you know, that's really powerful stuff, right? For an hour of time, I'm if I'm on a training ride or I'm on a race, um, you know, I'm I'm locked in there on that screen. And it's surfacing up real-time data uh, that tells me to go faster or push harder or, or do this or do that. And so my actions are motivated by the real-time feedback. Yet we kind of have to do that as sellers on our own. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have all the different tabs open. And we're trying to collect data here and use that data. Uh, you know, uh, you know and, and I know we've talked about this, but it would be really powerful, I think, that and I think we'll, we'll eventually get there, is why not have that Zwift-like experience, that portal where I could step in every day as a seller and know, hey, I've slept well uh, or I haven't slept well, and that should dictate my behavior for the day. Um, I should be getting real-time coaching feedback on you know the, those elements that I have to manage to be a good seller. Uh, and I'm almost... Just like operating in a game, sure. um, I'm managing my my sales career, my my sales pipeline. So, um, love it. Yeah, all interesting stuff that I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll see a, a reality. Yeah, over the next few years. I agree. All right. Well, Brandon, unfortunately, got to jump, but um, fantastic. Talk to you as always. So, if people yep. want to contact you, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn again. Brandon last name is is Fluharty F L U H A R T Y. Uh, probably the, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Brandon Tech Exec. Uh, two, two great places to connect with me. Excellent. All right, Brandon, thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. So grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank Brandon Fluardy for sharing his story with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating. You can do that all on your iPhone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. My team and I would really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>